Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, warm welcome to you from us here at our studios in Barangaroo, the heart of Sydney's financial district. This is The Call, 10 stocks picked by you two expert guests over the course of an hour on this Thursday, the 15th of December. And guess what? You have arrived to International Stock Day. So it's a bit of a special edition, 10 listed companies from around the world. And so we've assembled a bit of a special guest list for you. In studio is David Lane. He's joining us from Ord Manette. Also, Lachlan Hughes, who's joining us from Swell Asset Management. Good afternoon to you both. Lachlan, I'll start with you because we are at quite the moment in terms of U.S. equities in particular with interest rates set to continue to rise and uh, that must be throwing up lots of opportunities in your investable universe. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, and I think the interest rate outlook has been unpredictable to say the least, though we are getting towards the top end uh, of the uh, of the band of where we think the um, Fed is going to be in the sort of the next six months. So yeah, look, as you said, it's throwing up a lot of opportunities, and um, I think uh, probably if I had to pick one, Amazon's probably the uh, the one that I would call out as being the the best um, fr- from our perspective. Okay, well, we'll get to Amazon in just a minute. You're giving the game away a little bit, but that's okay because Sorry. obviously <laughs> these stocks come to mind. You know, the big mega caps have been hit, but also the small cap space in the U.S. has been ravaged, David. Yep. Like, the worm will turn eventually. It will. Uh, probably we're a little bit more cautious than, than Lachlan is, though. We tend to think that the, the Federal Reserve has a lot more work to do. Uh, and. That was partly indicated in their their announcement last night that uh, they're not seeing inflation tapering out quite yet. So on a macro point of view, we're still quite negative on the US and think that it's probably a little bit overvalued. Uh, There are still opportunities though, and we'll obviously talk about some individual stocks, but from a macro point of view, we're still underweight international and particularly underweight US equities. Oh, okay. So there we go. We might get a bit of a uh, bit of debate happening on this program. <laughs> You'll want to stick around. Look, we do stock of the day every day. Today is no different. We'll get there in just a moment, but just to let you know, we will be talking about Amazon, Apple, Tesla, Exxon, so a little bit more old school, but very hip this year and Nvidia Corporation. But I did choose Warner Brothers Discovery as the stock of the day. So it was a merger of AT&T's and Warner's media business and the former Discovery Communications. So it's um, undergoing a major restructure costing between. So this is this is the thing about the US. We're not talking about millions now. We're talking uh, 4.1 and 5.3 billion dollars. So it recently lifted its expectations of costs related to content write offs by one billion dollars. So write offs in terms of content could now reach three and a half billion dollars and there is a picture of its share price so clearly very depressed I think that's a yearly chart if I'm not mistaken Jack yep I think so all right so uh, I'm going to start with you Lachlan and I, I chose Warner Brothers obviously there was a bit of news out today and the news was very much overshadowed in terms of companies by the Fed but but Lachlan like media is a tough business at the best of times I can put my hand up and, and attest to that sure. but particularly you know when we're seeing an economic slowing and a lot of these old school media companies are having to run pretty fast to catch up with some of the new streaming service so what are the prospects for Warner Brothers Discovery Look I think it was an interesting announcement and what it says to me is they reached um, south of 100 million people with the uh, with the new uh, merged entity there and what they're effectively saying with this is that they're going to license their content to third parties because the extent of their reach is south of 100 million people but they're going to have to have to start considering the licensing game because a company like Netflix reaches 220 million households uh, nearly 750 million viewers 
And what Discovery is saying is we want to access some of those, um, those viewers, so they're going to license their content. They've said for now they're going to license it to um, add tiers, so not add supported tiers, actual just um, uh, competitors that show ads exclusively. Um, but I think it sets it up, it certainly from my perspective, is a really strong uh, signal for Netflix, given that they have the most number of users. And I think, um, as you say, it's these businesses have been going through a really tough time of late. And, and a lot of them are transitioning from the legacy business, which is like the cable business, and they're now rolling that into a streaming service. But by the looks of it, they're not reaching the number of streamers that they'd like to. So I think this bodes well for the biggest players. Um, but certainly uh, interesting uh, news today. Got it. Is it investable? Would you buy, hold or sell Warner Brothers? Look, I'd, uh, at this stage, I, I'll, I'll probably be a holder of, uh, of, of Warner. I just think um, if you don't own it now, there's no rush to be there. I'd like to see how this is going to play out. Uh, I think it probably, as I said, bodes well for Netflix, but and we own Netflix. But at this stage, if you don't own it, I certainly wouldn't be buying it today. Okay, so preference there would be Netflix in the space. What do you think, David? Yeah, it's it's a company that's going through a, a massive amount of change, massive restructure. Uh, it's going to take them quite a long time. So, as you said, they've they've increased their uh, their write-offs today. Um, last quarter, they announced the the basically the shelving of Batgirl, which they've spent ninety million dollars building this movie. It was pretty much close to mm -hmm. uh, completion, and then they realised, well, we're going to have to spend another. 60 to 70 million dollars to promote it um, it's not going to actually make us any money so we're going to shelve it not even not even show it on mm. any streaming services so it it shows how competitive that environment is uh, and the integration of the the three companies will take a long time so it's it's a business that i think is going through a transition as lachlan said they've got a lot of competition uh, around the world. There is one positive recently. They did announce that uh, HBO Max has signed a deal with Amazon. Um, Amazon last year actually took HBO Max off their platform, off mm -hmm. the Prime platform, and they've actually added it back on and they've, they've signed a new five-year agreement. So there is some positive there, but given the, the competitive environment that it's in, I wouldn't be investing in it. We've actually, I think it's a sell if, if you've got it. Got it. Um, at this point in time. All right, so you guys are just chomping at the bits to talk about Amazon. So <laughs> let's just get it out of the way, shall we? This is for Joe. Uh, look, Amazon is cutting jobs. It is a warning of a slowing economy. The share price, though, is down 46% year to date. Lachlan, is that just a screaming opportunity for you? Oh, you've said you like it already. Can you buy it now <laughs> confidently? Is there any point in waiting to see if it will fall further? Uh, look, I mean, you, what you know for certain is now that it's worth a lot more than its uh, current price, in which case we're happy to buy based on that. I, I can't say whether it's going to go lower or not from here, but. Um, you know, if you've got more than a 12-month view, then it's a it's a screaming opportunity, and we're really forming up in a couple of ways. The um, Amazon Web Services business, we think it'll make around 50 million in EBIT. We put that on about 20 times, three years out. That gives you a trillion-dollar valuation. Um, the company's trading for less than that today, and then you layer on top of that the retail business. It's obviously the the leading. Um, uh, e-commerce business in the US and they've built out an incredible amount of infrastructure from fulfillment and sortation centers to last mile delivery and look, this, it's just unrivaled uh, in the US and effectively you are getting that retail business uh, for zero today uh, based on a trillion dollar valuation for web services and then you can layer on top of that again a nascent advertising business and it's been quite interesting because um, ATT, the Apple's ad tracking transparency changes has created a lot of flux for the uh, advertising industry. And basically what it's done is it's made uh, first party data significantly more valuable than it was you know, 12 to 18 months ago. And the beautiful thing about Amazon is it has a lot of first party data. And what we're seeing from advertisers is advertisers are looking to connect the advertisement to the point of sale. And you're able to do that on uh, Amazon's, web, uh, Amazon's website. Um, so we're seeing a lot of uh, consumer packaged goods companies beginning to advertise there, and it's growing very quickly. And, and the other good part of the advertising business is it is actually very high margin. 
um, for Amazon. So look, taking those three things into account, we think it's it's great value. And I've, I've even left off Amazon Prime, which <laughs> the value that consumers get out of Prime is significantly higher than what they pay for it today. So we think there's you know, a lot of opportunity there. We like the cloud business over the next three years. Granted, it'll still grow uh, next year. It is slowing a little bit, but um, the long-term opportunity is still there and, and we're very excited about Amazon. Got it. So, so that, that is a buy. I, I'll put that in the buy. firmly in the buy category. Uh, to Lachlan's point, I mean, there's much to Amazon. Um, it's not just shopping. It's not just slaying Christmas, which I actually thought was quite clever when I saw that <laughs> billboard. Um, would you be buying now? Could you get it cheaper? Yes and yes. <laughs> okay. uh, certainly, it, it is a very good quality business. As you said, the share price is down about 47%. Uh, we, we do think it is a buy. Uh, but there is a potential, as I said, from the, the macro point of view, if we get the, the US market coming off further, it's a bellwether stock. So there's the potential that it comes off. Um, but from a long-term point of view, it's a great business. As Lachlan said, that Amazon Web Service is an excellent part of that, uh, that business. They've grown 39%. Lachlan said mm -hmm. it's, it's coming off slightly, but we still think it's going to grow about 30% a year. So it's got very solid growth in terms of that uh, AWS business. Mm -hmm. uh, there are some uh, headwinds as far as margins are concerned with supply, cha supply chain issues, uh, increasing costs as far as labour. Uh, but overall, we think it's a, it's a great business. Uh, when you look across the market, all the brokers think that there's 60 brokers yeah. that review it and there's 60 buyers on it at the moment. So uh, everyone thinks it's a buy at, at current levels. Okay. All right. So there you go. Amazon, be confident about that one. And don't forget, this is not, this is information only. This is not, you know, financial advice in any way, shape or form. It's not tailored to your specific circumstances. But let's get on to Apple. Should we be taking a bite of Apple, Lachlan? Keeping in mind it's down 21% year to date, but there are some concerns again about the consumer. You know, do we need that next iPhone? Also some supply chain issues and issues with production in China. So again, you know, is this one to buy now and hold for the longer term? Does it represent good value? Look, I'm not a buyer of uh, Apple today and, and I'm not a buyer for a few reasons. I think, um, as you called out, Foxconn that makes their phones, um, plant utilisation has been coming off. They've obviously got troubles in China with uh, you know, COVID zero policies, but we're also seeing the macro slow down in China as well. And Apple gets around 20% of their revenue from China. So I think that part is something to be a little bit cautious on. The services business, I think that continues to grow. That's Apple Care and Apple Pay and the, the everything, all the apps that are sold in the iOS store. Uh, and similarly to uh, Amazon, it also has an advertising business, which it's in the process of uh, growing as well. So, um, look, I think for for Apple, it is it's in a very good place. Obviously, they created the ad tracking transparency changes, so um, they've actually helped themselves to a you know a, a bigger market now in terms of advertising. Um, but I just think, given the valuation, it's not one that I would be buying uh, around here. And, and there's no rush either. I think you can sit back on this one and see what happens uh, in China. And like you said, Nadine, I think a slowing consumer is a bad thing. You can always put off your purchase of your, your iPhone. Um, and we just think it's, it's not one you need to rush into right now. Got it. Okay. So you would hold it, though, if you had it already, Lachlan? Just to Definitely be clear? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, All right. Okay. Um, David, you know, agree, disagree? Actually, I agree. Yeah, I think that it's it's a very very good business. Obviously, Apple uh, is is dominant in the industries that it's created, really. Uh, but at the moment, the valuation sitting on a PE of twenty three times, the dividend yield is 065 of a percent. So mm -hmm. there's no compelling reason to be buying it. Uh, those supply chain issues in China are still a problem for them. Uh, there's a, a delay of about twenty five days to get a iPhone fourteen Max. Uh, in the Jeez. US okay, and well, I 28 in China. We were up to. Okay. <laughs> but that's one of the problems I suppose that they've got is that th there's very little difference between the iPhone mm -hmm. 14 and the iPhone 12. So they haven't really come out with any any new technologies in the last few years that are, make it a compelling buy. Yeah. Uh, so great company to hold in your portfolio. If you've already got it, I'd be holding it, but I don't see that there's any reason to be buying it now. Okay, let's get on to the next. This is for Jules. Now I've got a bit of a backstory here. Uh, it's Tesla is what we'll be discussing, but 
I've been seeing a lot of different EVs around lately. Yesterday, I saw my first Polestar. Didn't even know what it was, but I've since learned it is a Volvo, essentially, that's made in China. And these Chinese EV companies are coming at Tesla hard. But again, Lachlan, like Tesla's share price hit a two-year low, I think, yesterday. It's down by about 60% year-to-date. It's got a CEO who is very distracted with a little blue bird. Would you be buying Tesla now, even if it's looking cheap? Yeah, I, I definitely wouldn't be buying uh, Tesla at this stage. I think, look, I drive a Tesla. I think it's a, a phenomenal product. Um, but the valuation's always been a struggle for me. Uh, I think they'll set record fourth quarter production. They're ramping up the Gigafactory in Texas and Berlin. So I think uh, from a supply perspective, they'll be in a very good position to, to meet the demand. But like you said, Nadine, it's hard to know what the demand's going to look like. And, and they really have had this EV market to themselves for a long time. And as is the case now, there's a lot of competitors coming through. So uh, I still believe that it is a superior product. They've really blended the hardware and the software in a similar way to, to what Apple's done. And the, their production process is really, it, it's second to none. I mean, what they can turn these um, cars out at uh, and still be profitable is, is incredible. And, you know, they're a long way ahead of the rest of these uh, competitors in terms of battery technology, but as I mentioned, production as well. So look, it's one that I wouldn't be buying now. I think it will be interesting at some point. I'm hoping it comes back a long way from where it is today, where it is today, but, um, yeah, I think the valuations is very challenging on this one. Got it. Um, what about you, David? Because, you know, you've got Polestar, you've got Volvo. I saw an EV Hyundai uh, yes. around my, yeah. my hood lately. So, um, you know, you really get the sense that this is a very competitive market. And I don't think we know yet. No, that's right. We, we think that longer term, by 2030, EVs will be at least 40% of the, the global market yep. in terms of the, the cars that are sold. But you're right, every car company around the world has at least one EV model and are developing that. Even Rolls-Royce, I saw, a, <laughs> have got a, uh, an EV as well. So uh, becoming very competitive. We do see that revenue for Tesla will continue to grow by about 50% each year over the next few years. So it's still growing, but their profit margin is still not great enough to, to make it an attractive buy. The PE ratio is around 55 times. They don't pay a dividend. Mm -hmm. As you rightly said, Elon Musk is very distracted and has other issues on his mind. So not really uh, at the wheel driving that, that business ah, at the moment. Good pun. <laughs> also, who knows what's on Elon Musk's mind at well, true, any given exactly. day. But yeah, I don't think we want to know exactly <laughs> so, all the time. Uh, so you would not be buying Tesla? No. The, the broking analysts have got a strong buy recommendation on it, but I wouldn't be buying okay. it at the moment. I'd, I'd be holding it current good. levels. All right, I just did a quick Google. So Lamborghini even has a roadmap for electrification. Lambo, as my 10-year-old would say. All right, let's move on from that because we go from very much new school to very much old school, or is it? Because the next one on the list for Dean is ExxonMobil. So there was a time that, you know, this company was, you know, being consigned to, you know, the the wastebasket, but then everything changed this year, didn't it, with Ukraine? So uh, there's ExxonMobil share price this year. It's the only one that's gained that we've talked about so far, 73%. But uh, Lachlan, is this as good as it gets for Exxon? Nadine, I wish I knew. I wish I knew on this one. I guess I've always struggled with the oil and gas companies. I mean, you go back to 2007 and we were talking about, um, you know, the oil price going to $200 a barrel and we're at peak oil. And here we are today with the, with the market very different. And you know, what happened was that um, the shale industry took off in the US. But the hard thing about the oil price is the higher it goes, the more projects become economic. And then what that does is increase supply, which pushes the price down. So there's always a really fine balance in the market. And for as long as I've been looking at these businesses, the demand supply has been roughly in balance. And even if you, I and mean, if we look forward from now, we know that um, oil price does not like recessions. That is one of the worst things you can get for an oil price. Um, but on the flip side, China's reopening, which is a positive. So you've mm -hmm. always got all these uh, puts and takes. Uh, if the oil price stays where it is today, which I, I'm guessing it probably does, um, we, we think it looks attractive. Um, it has, uh, it's, the valuation is certainly cheap and they've the company's actually gone through a tough period where they've been derated and i think as they start to focus on the shareholder and buybacks and capital returns that will start to improve 
um, the perception, which will increase the price as the, as the portfolio uh, multiple increases. So, look, I think it really depends on your view on Exxon. Um, if the if we saw uh, the war in the Ukraine stop tomorrow, I'm guessing the oil price goes down. But if you think you know where the oil price is going, it's a it's a or if it can hold this level, uh, it's a buy from my perspective. All right, we've got a buy. Um, so I know this is the international special, but David, is there even a reason? that as an Australian investor, you need to go offshore to get exposure to oil and gas when we've got so much gas and listed companies here locally. Great point. I, I don't think we need to, no. Okay. Um, investing internationally, there are good reasons to do it, but in areas where we've got a competitive advantage like Woodside and Santos, which we, we like both of those companies, I don't necessarily think that there is a, a reason to, uh, you know, to go offshore other than the fact that Exxon is still significantly larger mm -hmm. than those businesses and, and has a global reach. Uh, we do like Exxon. Um, we do have a, a buy recommendation on it, but there is a caveat to that. If you have some ESG filters and, and believe in decarbonisation, you wouldn't be going to Exxon because part of the reason that uh, over the next few years they're expected to do very well is they are one of the only companies in the world that's spending money on capital expenditure for fossil fuels. So mm -hmm. they're actually drilling for more oil and gas in, uh, in Africa, uh, and they've announced a fairly big capital program there. So they are spending a little bit on renewables, but nowhere near as much as, as many of the others. So yeah. it, from a financial fundamental point of view, trading on a, a PE of eight times, it's attractive value. It's got a good dividend yield. Uh, it stacks up but only if you don't have an ESG filter. If you can sleep at night, <laughs> yeah. Um, climate change deniers for a very long time, Exxon and Chevron. All right, number five on the list is NVIDIA. Uh, look, David, just to change it up, I'll start with you on this one. Again, a company down 42%. Yep. So we had the semiconductor um, you know, problems of last year. Now we're being told that there's a glut. A lot of these companies in this space have been very... Um, you know, hard hit. Obviously, it does stuff other than semis, but still, um, you know, you've got to think if this is the oil, so to speak, of the new economy, that yep. uh, is it looking cheap? It is. Yeah, we think it, it is cheap. It's a, uh, it's a global leader in the, uh, the graphic um, chip components yeah. uh, that they invented. Uh, one of the interesting parts that of the business where they're getting a lot of growth is in data centers. Mm -hmm. uh, so NVIDIA is often talked about in the, in the context of uh, AI and um, mm -hmm. self-drive cars and things like that, but a lot of their growth recently has actually come from data centers. So they're um, yeah, getting back to that corporate uh, area where there's, uh, yeah, that's the area where we see a lot of growth in it. Uh, so we do have a buy recommendation on it. I think it's a, it's a very good business. Um, and you know, NVIDIA is uh, well positioned. They've got a great balance sheet. Uh, so yeah, we do like, do like the stock at current levels. Lachlan, is this just you know, a, a, a golden opportunity to be getting into a company like NVIDIA? Look, I'll say a couple of things. The first is data centers are growing. So look, absolutely, um, we see from Facebook and Google that they're continuing to spend on AI. So the, the demand for uh, GPUs in data centers is very strong. They're going through a really tough period in gaming. So they, they're in most of the gaming consoles and that's seen a significant slowdown. So I think you've got, you've got one part of the business which is growing and one part that's slowing. Um, and the other sort of thing to remember is they've basically, they're restricted from selling uh, GPUs to China. So that's something that the US government has placed on them. And that's been a bit of a headwind for them as well. So look, it, it is still, a, long term, it's just a phenomenal, um, theme to be invested in. Uh, AI is really what's growing um, significantly and that's what's causing all the demand. And, and we're seeing AI in different places. Um, we're seeing it infused into a lot of Google's products, but we're also seeing it, might have seen GPT-3, which is the chatbot that was uh, released a couple of weeks ago. And that's, you know, that's a version of AI where you could ask it any questions and it would, um, it would give you the answer, but also be able to ask questions back. And um, it's really quite incredible what they've built there. But um, we think that AI is something that will continue to grow into the future. The revenue growth is going to be very strong. Uh, it's, it, 
from where it operates, it has some of the highest margins in the industry. So I think from both of those perspectives, uh, it's a buy. But then it really does just come back to valuation again. And I think given where it's trading at today, I'm cautious on the on the value there. Okay, so that is not a buy then. I'll say hold. If, you, hold. if you own it now, definitely holding it. Yeah. Um, but if, yeah, it's a. I, I, there's no rush to get into this one. I think this. Um, slowdown in gaming is going to be there for some time and, and the other thing to point out is if you look at the last result they have a huge inventory problem um, which means they've you know they've overestimated the demand so you know, despite the fact that data centers were up significantly year on year if you look at the sequentials they were actually down um, on a quarter by quarter basis so look, I don't think it's one we need to rush hmm. into at this stage okay interesting and it's a pretty competitive market as well right now GPU graphic processing unit for anybody units. yeah wondering at home hey, I can't believe it but we're already at the halfway mark so I'll let these guys grab a sip of water and I'll just sum up what we've learned so the stock of the day was Warner's brother it's such a dynamic industry and particularly as these legacy businesses trans uh, transform themselves or attempt to do so it is a hold for Lachlan. He does prefer Netflix, which he does hold in his portfolio. Uh, for David Lane, it is a sell. So, um, you know, just, just too hard basket pretty much to sum it up. Amazon, we've got a double buy here. So look, it is great value at this level, according to Lachlan. Um, and yeah, there's just not a lot of disagreement there on that front. So many parts to the business. Apple. It's a hold for David Lane from Ordmanet, um, and also for Lachlan um, he, he, at Swell Asset Management, he's just not a, vi a buyer. He says you can sort of sit back and relax. Evaluation is not looking that crash hot. And that's sort of the story in his view on Tesla as well. So again, not now, it's a superior product, but the valuation is challenging for him. And uh, look, David points out that there's no dividend being paid and that CEO is preoccupied. He would not be buying this either. Exxon, it's a buy from both of our guests. Look, um, I think it was sort of a reluctant buy from David Lane. Like think about ESG and also there are so many opportunities here. And he says as a bonus, I suppose that Ordmanet likes Woodside and Suntos here locally. Um, there's a lot of moving parts in Lachlan's view when it comes to Exxon, but just look at the valuation and it's not challenging at all. NVIDIA, you just heard the guys talking about it again. Uh, it is a buy. For David Lane, but it is a hold for Lachlan, who says that um, you know you don't have to rush to get into this one, even though it is, you know, uh, one of those companies that's really been caught up in a lot of the selling in the the tech end of the market, big and small, through 2022. So through 2022, we have been tracking our in fund. It's a high conviction fund picked by the investment committee, and the latest episode is up online at ausbiz.com.au. Uh, here is a look. So it's a bit hard to see. So I'll just summarize that we saw BAPCOR and Domino's removed heading into December. Index and Jenison Education were added. Elders weighting was increased. And the fund is up nearly 8% on a cumulative return basis since its inception on the 1st of March. So we're not going to include the international ones today in the portfolio. Maybe one day we'll get an international portfolio going as well. That would be fun. Um, but if you keep sending us in your requests, we'll keep putting it to our expert guests on the program. And uh, yeah, we'll put them to the investment committee if they get a, well, what we call a double buy. At CMC, we've been in the game for a while. And although a lot of things have changed, our mentality hasn't. We aim to give experienced traders the best trading experience, like our expert platform with its second to none trading tools. Plus our pricing is completely transparent. That's why people who've been trading for a long time stay with us for a long time. So if you're serious about trading, switch to the market leader trusted for over 30 years. Trade CFDs your way at cmcmarkets.com. You don't own underlying assets. Consider relevant PDS and TMD or information memorandum for CMC Pro accounts at our website. We've got Taiwan Semiconductor coming up. We've got Shell as well. So there you go. Same thematic as Exxon, Southwest Airlines, Walmart, and Ralph Lauren. Let's start with uh, Taiwanese Semiconductor. Lachlan, what do you think? Look, this one kind of goes together with uh, NVIDIA because NVIDIA is a fabulous company. It doesn't manufacture its own chips. TSMC does that uh, for NVIDIA. And they really have a 90% um, share in the most high-performing um, processes. So look, this would have one of the strongest modes of any business we see today. It is, it, what they do is absolutely incredible. There is no one in the world that can even go anywhere near matching what they, they can do today. 
the big challenge they have is the, the geopolitical risk. We have um, China, obviously, uh, has a fractious relationship with Taiwan. Um, the, most of the processes are built, uh, manufactured uh, in Taiwan. They're expanding that now. So they've just made an announcement recently they're going to expand the Arizona plant. So they will be making more of those chips in the US, but still the, the, hot, the most high-performing chips will still be made in Taiwan. So I think there's, there's real uh, geopolitical risk there. But I think from our perspective, that geopolitical risk is getting smaller as they continue to build out their manufacturing in other countries. So look, we feel very good about this one. I think you can buy it. I think the valuation is very undemanding. And as I said before, the moat is as deep as any of the moats you would see across uh, the global companies. And it was interesting that you saw Berkshire Hathaway uh, buy into TSMC recently. And I think recognizing the fact that it has a very strong competitive position. Mm -hmm. Okay, so uh, look, the investable universe is vast, but is it worthwhile, David, taking on that geopolitical risk when it comes to Taiwanese semiconductors? That's the the, the big question. Uh, pretty much agree with everything that Lachlan has said, and, yeah. and that we've got to buy it on t Taiwan Semiconductor as well. Uh, but yes, there is that that very real risk that. China um, you know, makes a, a play on, on Taiwan. Arguably, that's one of the reasons that they would like to do that is because Taiwan does mm -hmm. have that, you know, the, the semiconductor uh, market sewn up. So uh, that's the biggest risk in terms of in investing in, in the company. Um, we do like it. It's on a PE of 12 times. But to be honest, for an Australian investor that wants an exposure there, I'd probably get exposure through an ETF or uh, there are a number of ETFs around that actually have exposure to semiconductors, mm -hmm. uh, so it's probably a, a safer way to do it and alleviate some of that uh, political risk that, that you're talking about with Taiwan. Look, I know that, Lachlan, it's sort of um, uncouth to be talking about uh, ETFs with active managers, but yeah. is that a fair point, particularly for retail investors who do want to gain exposure to this thematic but perhaps don't have the confidence or the wherewithal to go and invest in a Taiwanese company? 100% Nadine. No, I think ETFs are, are wonderful and, and they do a great, uh, they're very, they diversify your exposure. Um, so for an investor who's not spending the time to get comfortable with some of these risks, absolutely think ETFs is a, is a perfect way to play the semiconductor space. Got it. Thank you. Let's get on to Shell. So British oil and gas company, but it is listed in New York. Um, it's the same sort of story when it comes to, uh, you know, exposure to the Ukraine uh, story, which is a very sad one and unreal that it's still going you know, as we close out 2022. Um, but again, is there a reason to be taking on uh, Shell in a portfolio? This one is for Vincent. I mean, um, yeah, just give us the, the investment thesis, I suppose, when it comes to Shell, if you've got one, Lachlan. Absolutely. And probably leaving the oil price that comments I made earlier, which sort of play into this one as well. But I think Shell is a very well run business. It has been for a, a very long time. Um, they're very prudent in the way that they allocate their capital, uh, strong valuation support for the business. It has like a very high free cash flow yield. Uh, it has a dividend as well. And the valuations are undemanding. So look, this is another one that if you're happy to invest in oil and gas stocks, it's a very well run business. And yeah, we'd be happy to buy this one as well it's a buy is it it's a buy a hold sell for you david we've actually got a buy uh sorry a hold recommendation okay. on it um and going back to when we were talking about exxon about the the esg and decarbonization mm -hmm. part of the reason we've got a hold on shell is because they're actually investing more money on renewable energy uh and that's going to cost them a lot of money over the next few years mm -hmm. not necessarily generate profits in the near term so it's a long-term business. Uh, they're very, very well managed. They're one of the, the global leaders in LNG. Uh, so it is cleaner in that sector uh, than Exxon is. Mm -hmm. But from an investment point of view, we think current levels, it doesn't, doesn't really stack up as a compelling buy. It's complicated, isn't it, when you Certainly start overlaying is. ESG? Because, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah it's, uh, you could look at it sort of from both sides of the coin. All right, one of the big thematics this year here, overseas, everywhere has been this whole reopening thematic. So we've seen what's happened with Qantas here. 
uh, and its share price as people have taken to the skies in a really significant way. I might actually start with you, David, on this one. Southwest Airlines in the U.S. Now, domestic travel in the U.S. got back to bustling really, really quickly. It did, yep. Um, so, again, are the, are the, you know, how do you view the airlines? Because it's a tricky proposition at the best of times, and it's a very competitive market in the States. It is. Uh, the, the airline industry globally, and, and particularly in the U.S., I think, is, is actually heading into a, a Goldilocks-type period. Whereas prior to the pandemic, it was too hot. Obviously, the pandemic, it was too cold. Going forward, we, we think it's probably about right. Uh, and uh, Southwest Airlines is very well positioned. They've got an exceptional balance sheet. Um, for, for an airline, it's an actually airline. got <laughs> negative net debt of uh, $3.6 billion. That's, so that's it's extraordinary. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, so a lot of cash on their balance sheet. The only issue that um, Southwest Airlines has is that they've got enough staff, they've got the, uh, the capacity in the, uh, the terminals, they're actually waiting on planes. So they've got uh, a back order of uh, planes from Boeing. So uh, that's probably the only uh, impediment to their growth, but it is very well managed. Um, we've actually got a buy recommendation on it. The analysts in America have actually got a strong buy recommendation on it. Um, but having said that, it's on a PE ratio of 20 times, a yield of 1.9%. Qantas is on a PE ratio of 6.3 times. Obviously a totally different market, but it does does show you that uh, Qantas is still very good value in the in the domestic market uh, as well. Good value, Qantas. Okay, there's a bit of a bonus there for those watching at home. Would you be investing in an airline, Lachlan Hughes, from Swell? <laughs> well, the uh, airlines have been a graveyard for investors for a long time, so uh, very cautious on on airlines, but um, if I was looking at you know, airlines versus airlines, I think Southwest is a, a very well-managed business. They're going through the same challenges as a lot of the um, airlines in the US are going through, which is a pilot shortage. Uh, at the moment, there's 700 planes, I think 40 are grounded, so um, that, it takes time to train a pilot up and bring them on board, fortunately, so that's going to be a bit of a uh, headwind for them. But the market's expecting the capacity to grow again in 23, but I'm not quite so sure. I think the consumer is very hard to know what they're doing at the moment. It's hard to know what they're doing next week, let alone midway through next year. And I think that's the big challenge. What's the economy going to be doing? What does that mean for uh, airlines? I think d travel's discretionary. I don't think you get any more discretionary than travel spend. So I think it's one that uh, we're cautious on. Uh, we've never invested in airlines. I'm not sure we ever will because you really need to get the load factor right. If, they, you know, if the load factor is 84%, they make money. If it's 82%, they lose it. So um, you really have to be strong, have to have very strong conviction on the capacity growth. And uh, I just don't have that level of conviction. So uh, if, if you owned it now, I wouldn't be selling it, but I also wouldn't be buying it. Yeah, okay, interesting. Um, and we've got COVID cases on the rise in the US as well. Um, very, very busy holiday period right now. Just Lachlan, for those of our viewers not familiar with you and with Swell Asset Management, because of course we don't do international specials all the time, I, I just came to mind because you're talking about not really being keen on investing into airlines. Like what is your overarching uh, theme, thematic, um, you know, where do you tend to invest? So yeah, we've actually, and I probably should mention, we have an ESG focus. So the oil and gas companies are not part of our universe. We don't invest in those companies, but we're looking for the best 10 to 20 companies globally. And we want to find those companies with the strongest competitive advantage or moat. So we want to you know, really find a good business with great management um, and, and you know a strong moat and, and businesses that can grow both their revenue and profit over the long term. And that's the type of businesses we try to find. At the moment, they seem to be in the technology space, despite the fact we've seen large sell-offs this year um, based on slowing in the advertising market. But long term, we think these are great businesses and the philosophy really is to try and find those companies and then when we find them, to hold them for the long term. Yeah, and so that's what I was sort of getting at. Is it inevitable that most of the innovative companies that are positioned for growth will be in the tech space? I mean, or do you, you know, do you take more of an agnostic view and then that's just where it leads you? Yeah, we, we try to take an agnostic view and it's just where it leads us. It just so happens that the strongest moats are in the technology-based companies, but we've, we've owned, we've owned John Deere and we've owned Nestle and 
um, Procter and Gamble, and we've owned a lot of companies in the past that come from consumer staples. But yeah, at the moment, Adina really is um, the tech industry that manages to create these huge modes. I mean, if you take a company like um, Alphabet or Google, really no one's challenging Google in search. So that's a very strong business. And they're the, the types of companies we're, um, we're trying to find and own for the long term, which is, I guess, challenging at the moment when you see the market volatility. But we're not really so concerned what happens in 2023. We're more worried what's happening between 2026 and beyond. So, you know, in years like this, we just have to stick to our knitting. We don't change the portfolio. We keep doing the work on them. But if we like the outlook, we just continue holding them. OK, got it. And David Lane from Ordbanet. Um, do you think that most Australian investors should have some sort of international exposure? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, we think um, most portfolios should be well diversified. They should have exposure to Australia, international uh, investments, fixed interest, um, property and potentially some alternatives as well. It really just depends on individual preferences in terms of their risk profile as to what the combinations of those might be. Um, but as I said in the, in the intro, We've reduced our exposure to international investments over the last five years or so. Having a high weighting to international has been very, very positive to it. Um, now, because of the global headwinds, we're, we're less, um, less positive on international and think Australia comparatively looks very good value and is in a better economic position. And the other factor that you need to take into account when you're talking about international is currency. Mm -hmm. when you've got the currency down around 65 cents against the US dollar, the risk is that at some point in time, if you're invested there, that the, the currency goes up, which can wipe away some of, your, uh, some of your investment. The currency coming down has been positive to international investments, but you need to take into account that risk. But uh, yeah, certainly coming and talking to an, an advisor will help you put together the, the yeah. portfolio uh, right for your individual circumstances. All right, well, there you go. There's your plugs, guys. <laughs> but I do think it's important to sort of um, help our viewers like understand why we're even bothering with talking about international companies as well. And here's one that doesn't get much bigger in the US, actually North America. Walmarts are spreading uh, across Canada as well. I'll take my word for it, uh, is Walmart. Now, I saw something the other day. Walmart is even extending into sort of buy now, pay later in its own stores, which uh, sort of reeks right now when you've got uh, the cost of living pressures in the United States. And uh, a lot of people, which you know, we might not be familiar with here, do you know, all of their grocery shopping, all of their shopping at Walmart. So WMT is the ticker code. This one is for, for Randy. Uh, Lachlan, so it's not, it's not a tech company. But you've got to say that Walmart's dominance in the U.S. is quite the moat. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Walmart has a phenomenal moat. Uh, they have uh, the biggest footprint in terms of stores. And it's very hard to go into those areas and get take a lease because where they have the leases in all the best places. So that's always the, the great thing with these companies. They do um, the big ones, uh, like, you know, I guess Woolworths, you could put in there and Coles as well. But they do tend to have the best locations and, and that's they're they've managed to get that footprint over a very, very long time, and that's their moat. Um, well, Walmart's been trading um, very strongly of late because it is a defensive business. They take a large part of their revenue from grocery, and you get in the benefit of uh, recession environments is you have consumers trading down, and they've seen that as well. So that it all bodes very well for Walmart. And I think if you go back even five or 10 years, people were looking at Walmart as um, you know, I guess as a second, playing second fiddle to the online retailers, but they've managed to grow an incredible online business as well. And the, the kicker for Walmart at the moment is retail media advertising, which they're getting into in a big way as well. And they're having great uh, success with their um, advertising business. And that's a, that's a high margin business. So it's, it's highly profitable for them to continue to grow into the advertising space. So all, all in all, we think uh, Walmart is a wonderful business, strong mode, uh, set up well and valuation. Look, it's not as cheap as it was. You'd, li you'd like to buy it cheaper than here, but I think given the, um, the headwinds on the horizon, I think you won't go wrong um, owning uh, or even buying uh, Walmart today. Okay, can I just, so their advertising business, I'm not familiar with this, so they're basically charging brands and then they advertise on their behalf? 
Yeah, that's right. So if you if you did your online shopping with Walmart, you may be going to buy some um, Omomatic, and they'll put an advertisement up next to next to that uh, where it went right at the purchase decision. That's the kind of like the the real beauty of it. They'll put up a, yeah an ad for a, a like an alternative um, uh, washing detergent. So look, it really is, and it's at the point of sale. Whereas a lot of the advertising you get on social media. Um, it's all awareness type advertising, which is top of the funnel. This is really at the bottom of the funnel. And at the moment, um, advertisers really want to connect the ad- advertising dollar with the purchase decision. And Walmart does that. So it's, it, it's very strong with first party data, similar to Amazon. Amazon's doing the same thing. But yeah, they're actually taking some share of the advertising market. And right now when um, advertisers are trying to focus on every dollar, they'll spend it with companies like Walmart. Well, that's interesting. So I've learned a few new things today. Um, David Lane, would you be buying Walmart? I mean, it should be pretty much recession proof. Yeah, it should be. Uh, Although, as you said, it's such a big store. It's a combination of staples and discretionary. Uh, So it will be impacted by the the recession if that comes in the US uh, and the slowdown that, that could happen there. The other thing that Walmart has is a massive workforce so on the margin side they're being hit with wage they're having rises. to pay 15 dollars an hour correct <laughs> yeah so that's having an impact on them um it's such a big business but it's not actually growing that much uh the the revenue is only expected to grow by about six to eight percent next year we're actually well the analysts are forecasting a decline in their their earnings so um p ratio of 24 times I wouldn't be buying it at the moment. I'd, I'd hold it if you've got it in your portfolio, but I can't really see a, a, a massive reason to be buying it at, at current levels. All right, we've got some disagreement. That is okay. That makes a market. And by the way, Lachlan, you were struggling there, but it, they would be buying Tide, I think, as they're watching. Tide, yeah. yeah, as <laughs> detergent in the States. It just kind of popped in my mind there. Okay, flashbacks. Um, let's get to the lucky last on the list. Look, I've got a bit of a soft spot for this next company. Ralph Lauren. This is for Stacey. I don't mind a popped collar myself sometimes. I've spent quite a lot of money in Ralph Lauren over the years. Uh, yeah, what do you think, Lachlan? I mean, this is this is a very, very American brand um, known all around the world. But again, I guess the consumer and retailers and how well it's being run, you know, comes into mind. Yeah, look, the management have done a fantastic job. I think three years ago, they set themselves some targets and, they're, and they've met those targets. The most recent investor day, they've, uh, they think they can get revenue growth and margin expansion. And then where I think they've really surprised people is they've um, invested uh, into areas to grow um, the brand amongst the millennials and Gen Zs. I even noticed they've done a collaboration with Fortnite, which I, I never <laughs> thought I'd see Polo Ralph Lauren collaborating with Fortnite, but look, it's it's working for them. Um, it's one of those businesses, you sort of struggle with fashion businesses because it's the, the, I guess it has brand equity. It definitely has brand equity. Polo's a great brand, but it also has a lot of competitors. and. Um, does it have a strong moat? Look, I think it's it's it, if it has a moat, it's it's weak at best. I think it's a great management team. They're doing good things. Very apparel's very exposed to the consumer, so a slowdown in the economy will impact um, Ralph Lauren. And they're also there's a significant amount of operating leverage in these retail businesses, which means you might get a two percent fall in revenue, which might lead to a ten percent fall in operating profit. So. They're very leveraged to the consumer. So I'm just a little bit cautious on this one. And um, look, I, I wouldn't be buying it. Um, would I be selling it? I, I'm somewhere between a hold to a sell if I had to make a call on this company. I think they're doing a fantastic job. Um, but yeah, I'm just Dean, just worried a little bit about the consumer uh, apparel. Mm-hmm. Got it. David Lane, Ralph Lauren. Yeah. You look like a polo guy to me. <laughs> <laughs> May, may or may not yeah. have some, but <laughs> uh, and right across the world, we saw out of the pandemic as people came out of their homes, they they spent on apparel. Yeah. Um, Ralph Lauren did very very well out of that uh, period, and I read recently that there's uh, more twenty uh, somethings living at home with their parents <laughs> uh, than any other time in the last forty years, hmm. and that's part of the thing that's actually been driving uh, brands is that. 
Yeah, they don't, as I'm often telling my children, they don't have any expenses when they're at home, but yeah. they're earning good money, so <laughs> they can afford to, to buy their, their Ralph Lauren polos. Um, but as we get into a period of, of economic slowdown, uh, I, I think that the apparel business will become the, the sort of yeah. area that, that uh, sales will slow. Uh, and as Lachlan said, it's, it's a very uh, competitive market. So again, I, I'm on a hold. I think that if you've, you've currently got it, I can't see any reasons to be selling the stock. Um, the other thing that, that Ralph Lauren has got is a quite a large footprint as far as stores are concerned. So it is costly as far as the, the bricks and mortar. Mm -hmm. They are developing further their digital um, platform. But yeah, can't see any reason to be buying it at, at current prices. All right, that takes us to the end of the list. Let me summarize what we've learned so far. So Taiwan Semiconductors, it's a buy. It's a buy from both of our guests. But look, uh, not ruling out gaining some exposure to the whole semi theme through an ETF, which is uh, something to consider. It's a buy when it comes to Shell for Lachlan Hughes at Swell, although we've learned that they do have an ESG overlay, so they actually wouldn't be buying it themselves, but on valuation, looking good, and it's a well-run company. It's a hold, though, for David Lane in part and parcel because it is spending more to develop cleaner technology, and that obviously costs a lot of money. So really interesting. Southwest Airline, actually a strong buy from the analysts at Ordbinet. Um, and it's a hold. Uh, look, uh, Lachlan wouldn't be buying airlines. He's just very cautious on the complexity of the business and also the economy and the slowing happening. Walmart, though, is a buy. Not really cheap in his view, but a phenomenal moat. And that's what he's after. It's a hold, though, for David Lane because he reckons that even Walmart won't be immune necessarily if we start to see a big pullback in consumer spending. And that brings us to Ralph Lauren. You just heard the guys talking about it. It's a hold to a sell for Lachlan and a hold for David Lane, uh, which I'm sure uh, if we opened both of their closets, we might find a polo <laughs> or two. All right, guys, that was fun. Thank you so much for joining us, Lachlan. It's a bit uh, different how we normally have a conversation with you. So welcome back anytime. Thank you, today. Thank you. And David Lane, nice to see you in person. Yes, great of you to drop by fun. the studio. Thank you so much from Ordminet. That is the show for today. Stay with us if you'd like us to cover any companies, local, international, if you have any ideas for the program, feel free to email us at the call osbiz.com.au. Stay with us. David Scott will be bringing you through the small caps next. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.